All Souls Forum is a public forum dealing with significant issues, especially those that involve ethical values of the contemporary world and that promote critical thinking. It is a production of the All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church at 4501 Walnut Street in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, I'm Richard Thompson, and I'm a member of the All Souls Unitarian Universalist Forum Committee. Also wearing a Chiefs red bow, bow tie. Go Chiefs! Welcome to the All Souls Forum. Our mission is to provide a platform for the discussion of significant issues, especially those affecting ethical values in our contemporary world, and to promote critical thinking. Today, it is my privilege and honor to introduce Una Noling, who will be talking about issues troubling the LGBTQ community. Una is an intersex and trans activist who has several shows on KKFI, advocates through Black and Veatch, and uh, advocates in other forms. Uh, when we're done, we'll do a short break and take up the collection, then move into our structured question and answer time. After that, we will turn off the recording, go to the library, and move to unstructured time. With that, Una, take it away. Thank you very much. So uh, I'm very pleased to be here and to talk about the, the general subject of transgender, intersex, non-binary issues, which, as I was thinking about this subject and realized, as I've been presenting for 11 years since I came out, to a large extent, the issues haven't changed. I mean, the actual magnitude of the impacts, the depth and breadth through society that uh, our lives have has changed, but ultimately the same challenges exist now that existed 10, 11, 12 years ago. We have more legal protections now, of course, with uh, very, probably I would say that the most important single legal protection granted us was by the ironically Trump-packed Supreme Court decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, which recognized that we were covered under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Then again, that only goes so far, just like, uh, you know, people are still pulled over, um, imprisoned, brutalized, and even murdered for the crime of driving while Black. People are still fired for the crime of working while Latinx or refused advancement, promotion, or even uh, insulted in the workplace for the crime of being female. So discrimination is something that many different groups face, and the trans, intersex, and non-binary community is facing the same struggles and moving along the same path. We are quite a bit further behind than some other groups. I would reckon that the movement now is probably akin to what the generalized gay and lesbian movement was in the 1990s when there started to be grudging acceptance. Uh, many people like to point to this sitcom called Will and Grace as being the turning point for gay acceptance. I never saw it as such, but I see academics uh, that I communicate with still pointing to it. I don't know if we've had our Will and Grace moment yet, and perhaps we will. Uh, I want to give a couple definitions for people that may not understand some of the terminology. Transgender refers to a person who has a gender identity, that is, who we are up here, 
that does not align with our body morphology or how we were assigned at birth. And people wonder, well, how on earth can that be? And the truth is, is that the different parts of our body form at different weeks in the womb. The brain and gender identity actually form long after our genitals and our bodies start to go down that cascade transformation of making testosterone and starting to masculinize or not making testosterone and continuing to develop as a cisgender female. There are quite a lot of different genetic conditions, endogenous and exogenous chemical exposure to the mother while you're in the womb that can lead to a disconnect. Uh, in my case, because I was conceived in 1967, believe it or not, my mother was on super high dose estrogen for quite a long time. She was told to stay on it for a month until her period stopped. My mother did not really understand such and stayed on that till she was in her fifth or sixth month. And um, they can't prove that's what happened to me. I'm actually, however, also an intersex person. Intersex is different from transgender. Intersex people are people who, genetically speaking, cannot be fully classified as male or female. There is an old expression which is very offensive. You should never use it around people like us called hermaphrodite. So, for instance, I have female parts from birth. I have other parts from birth. So that's one reason why I grew up, uh, compared to my peers in school, looking extremely feminine. I did not grow body or facial hair. I did not develop musculature like males. And I was subjected to basically abuse every single day from seventh grade uh, boys gym the first week when they discovered that I had a B cup and had been hiding it to the time I got out of high school. And of course, thankfully in college, they don't have mandatory showers uh, together. So not in most schools, KU, they didn't. And so an intersex person often is trans because many times we are brought up and forced to hide our identity. I was forced to bind my breasts, to pretend to be a boy, to try to deepen my voice. But after a while, because of the illnesses caused by not treating my condition, being 75% female but still presenting male, I had to go through a transition. Transition basically is changing socially, legally, or otherwise your presentation in society. So I had to change from being a well-known and somewhat uh, famous uh, male engineer in the environmental engineering field to a uh, unusual uh, viewed as a transgender woman in the environmental engineering field. This was in 19, in, excuse me, in 2012. And amazingly, even though my field is extremely conservative, my company rallied behind me. I did not expect this at all. I had fully expected to be fired. And like most of my peers in the industry, working at Home Depot or Starbucks or something, not only did they rally behind me, but they highlighted me. They made a video about my journey. I've been promoted four times since then, so they certainly aren't holding my career back. I don't even want to be promoted anymore. I'm already working too much. I have been blessed, and my journey has been very atypical. 
the vast majority of transgender and intersex persons when they come out are not treated well. I am probably the only person at a managerial level in the utility industry in the world that is like me. There's lots of people like me in that field. They just aren't working anymore or they've been blacklisted. So employment is still a big burning issue that affects our entire community. Because in our society, employment means that you have health insurance. It means you have a roof over your head. It means you can provide for yourself without good employment at a living wage and protections in the workplace so that you aren't forced to quit by subtle discrimination from your supervisor, your peers, your clients. Uh, unless you have that privilege, you can end up like many of my friends who were professionals, accountants, uh, dentists, attorneys, um, other engineers who went from being successful, middle-aged people with a family, a job, a stable life, you know, playing tennis at their homes association clubhouse to rooming with three teenagers in downtown KCMO and, uh, you know, working construction jobs, putting up drywall. That is a tremendous shock. And what is most troubling to me is the lack of acceptance from the families. And this leads into a very dangerous and deadly cycle when it affects transgender youth. Because I do a lot of counseling for transgender youth. I visit uh, K-12 schools. Not so much anymore because of the tide has turned in the last four years. And I'll mention that a little bit here. But um, I used to work for the Justice Project of Kansas City, which is an organization that works to help the sex workers uh, through KCMO in the area to uh, get them health care, get them access to benefits, get them safe housing, and get them help without pressuring them. And one of the reasons that they invited me to work for them is they said, Una, there's about 500 sex workers on the streets of KCMO. About one third of them are transgender. I said, but we only make up about 1% of society or less, maybe half a percent or, or under. And then it sort of realized, it cut through to my privileged viewpoint, oh yeah, that's why there's no people of color in all the trans groups I'm in, because that community has multiple aspects of discrimination hitting them from all sides. And... I ran the most heartbreaking case was a 19 year old I ran into. She came out as transgender when she was 15. Her parents uh, immediately threatened her, punished her uh, physically, emotionally. She was taken to be exorcised at her Baptist church. I didn't know Baptist churches did exorcisms. I thought that was Catholics, but I'm a Hindu, so what do I know? Yeah. And, um, Eventually, she got to the point where even her own grandmother told her she was a disgusting animal and not to come back until she stopped this delusion that she was a girl. So she couch surfed at friends' houses for a while. Eventually, you can't do that forever. She lived on the streets. She sold everything she had. And then one day, it was starve to death or sell her body. By the time I met her, she was 19 years old, a dropout, HIV, addicted to multiple drugs, almost dead on her feet. A total horrifying tragedy 
for a poor young kid who had to deal with something that she never asked for. So there's a dirty secret out there. A lot of people in trans pride, they'll say, I love being who I am. I love being transgender, whatever. I am so proud of who I am. And it's we are proud of who we are and the struggle we've gone through, the fact we've accomplished it. But behind closed doors, when it's just us together, and we say, hey, if there had been a magic pill that we could have taken and not had to do this, would we have? Almost everyone says yes. Why would you want to turn your whole life upside down? Why would you risk losing your entire family? One of my friends, her own children told her, we told your grandchildren you died in a car accident. If you ever try to contact them, we'll call the police. That was her own children that told her that. Who would want to give up their career, their whole life and everything just because they could wear a skirt? No, it's not about the clothes. It's nothing about the clothes. I like to dress well, except, of course, when I lock my keys in my car and you know my good suit is in there and everything, as I explained earlier. But it just emphasizes we don't do this as a, it's not a thrill. It's not a kink. We don't get turned on. We're not cross-dressers. We're people that are just trying to do the best we can to survive. And then beyond that, to live and love and work and contribute and be part of American society and be treated equally and to just have the expression someday saying, by the way, I'm intersex, or by the way, I'm transgender, or by the way, I'm non-binary, mean about as much as saying, oh, by the way, I'm from Indiana. You know, someone might ask if you've ever been to the Indy 500 or something, or whatever trans version there would be of that. This last four years saw an unprecedented assault on the most vulnerable segment of the community that there was, and that's transgender youth. In the last four years, I don't have my notes with me, but I believe I remember the numbers. There were 329 bills at the state level introduced directly targeting transgender persons, more than 90% of them targeting transgender youth. And um, the it's almost always a boogeyman that's being used. I want to thank my spouse, by the way, who showed up and unlocked my car for me. Thank you so much. You're also on the agenda to speak if you would like to say something, by the way. Excuse me. Excuse me for, oh, let me put on my regular glasses. I know it's unnerving. Some of my friends say, I can't see your eyes. It's really creepy. Well, I do a goth music uh, radio show and live DJing around town and goth, dark wave, and industrial music, so I'm kind of used to my glasses. Oh, it's bright in here. Okay. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Um, I was my spouse. That's another of the greatest advantages I had in my transition is I had a spouse who knew I was transgender before our first date even, and her only reaction was, oh, cool, do you like Indian food? This is 2000. This is 22 years ago, and that's her progressive attitude. And seven months later, she asked me to marry her. And she's been with me, and not just with me, she's been a powerful advocate for the trans community since. Not because she felt obligated to, or that I drew her into it, but because that's the sort of heart that she has. She runs the SOFA support group for, for significant others, friends, family, and allies of transgender persons. And although she doesn't get in the spotlight as much because she's not widely known as 
you know, the trans professor or engineer or whatever, she literally saves lives. She keeps the families together. She helps the friends support the co-worker that came out. She helps the mother and father accept the child that they were this close from kicking out on the street. She saves lives. And she is really an undersung hero. And she doesn't hear that enough, not even from me. And I greatly appreciate and honor her. But these these bills are targeting the youth. And that is a lot of what uh, Fiona sees in her support group, our parents trying to deal with this. It's the boogeyman of these aren't really trans kids. These are boys trying to play a prank to, you know, get into the girls' locker rooms. These are boys that are trying to out-compete the girls in sports. You know, the International Olympic Committee assembled teams of scientists in 2000, actually I think it's from 1998 to 2001, to study this issue from every possible angle. And they came up with, it's the hormones. Yes, it's undeniable. If you have high elevated testosterone levels over time, you will develop greater musculature. You will be faster, stronger, more manly. You will smell. One thing that I found out when uh, my estrogen levels became high, I could smell men suddenly. It's not really a great smell. It's not a bad smell. It's just different. It's just different is all. A friend of mine is a trans man who's been on testosterone for about two months, and I realized all of a sudden I could smell him. It's not a bad smell, but it's just there. So it does come down to the hormones. And the International Olympic Committee for 23 years has had a policy in place that's been echoed by many international sports organizations around the world. And yet somehow in America, we have 35 states considering or passing laws trying to keep transgender girls out of sports out of fear that they will dominate the podium they will take all the medals do you know how many transgender persons in the olympics in world cup games in international events have even ended up in the top five since 2001 i don't think a single one if we, if we have such an advantage, if given all the millions and millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars of endorsements, there's so much incentive for someone to try to cheat and say, oh, I'm transgender. Now I can start taking hormones and compete against you know other women. They would be doing that by now. But it's not happening. Where are the trans people dominating the podiums? We don't exist. In the state of Utah, they passed their anti-transgender sports bill on account of one transgender girl competing in the entire state who wasn't even really coming in fourth place even in track events. I mean, they, they spent days, weeks, months arguing and lobbying over the threat posed by one person who was just getting some exercise really. There is also the issue of transgender girls in the locker rooms, you know, are they just there to peep or so forth? No, we really aren't. We're kind of terrified at first to be in female spaces. As it's not what we're used to doing. We don't, we still, because we've been brought up socially, you go in this space, other people go in this space. It's unnerving. I had a big revelation at work when I came out. I got out of the elevator. This was in the time between I had come out, but I hadn't actually started transition. And all the women on my floor that worked, and everyone from lead engineers to admin assistants were gathered together talking in a group. 
And they turned and looked at me and said, we just had a meeting about you. You don't normally like to hear it. In any context, you don't normally like to hear that at work. And I said, all right, and set my teeth mentally. And they said, we wanted to let you know that we all support you and we care for you. And we want you to know that if you're ever worried about going to the ladies' room, just text any one of us and we'll escort you. And I said, but that's really nice. But the problem is you're supposed to be worried about me. And they really just looked at each other like a double take, like, why? You're one of us. Why would we, why would we care? You know, in my tracking of crime stats, I think there has only been one case of a trans person uh, molesting or causing it uh, involved in a sex crime in a women's bathroom in 20 years. That's actually an extremely low rate if you just consider average people doing that to each other. I mean, there was this big scare in the 70s of predatory lesbians on the tennis circuit were taking advantage of young girls across the world and so forth. That almost led to legislation then. It's just fear-mongering. You have to ask yourself why. There's a lot of things I don't understand. Not to be overly political about it, but why in 2016 and again in 2020 did 14% of the LGBTQIA community vote for Donald Trump? person who was behind, sponsored, or signed into law by executive order, something like 217 anti-LGBTQIA directives or policy changes or back legislation. It boggles the mind. And yet, I hear people talking about it, and I I hear in trans groups people saying, well, I'm never going to vote for someone who would respect my right to work, my right to be married, my right to have a family, my right to do anything, because the other party's going to take away my guns. I'm like, oh my God, really? That's what it comes down to. You would rather be unemployed, not be allowed admission to college, be living on the streets as long as no one could take away your guns. Okay, um, if that works for you. It's the community in some cases is fighting itself too. And this struggle has happened with many civil rights movements through history. The African-American community saw the rise of some of this in the 1960s as different groups you know, under uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, as well as uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., different ideologies, different ways of approaching the racial divides, fighting against each other instead of the common cause. And they both had valid reasons for doing what they did, but at some point you can be complacent. And I think our movement in the uh, trans, intersex, and non-binary movement became a bit complacent. We had so many victories, we lost track of the sight that more than 50% of the country really doesn't like our existence. I've had a lot of privilege because being intersex, I'm small, I'm five foot four, I never grew body hair, I didn't have to worry about that. People used to call me ma'am even when I was wearing a suit and tie, they thought I was a butch lesbian. I mean, uh, I got away with that because I had passing privilege. A lot of people don't. And that's what it comes down to in real life. That's the difference between job or no job, health care or no health care, 
family or no family, life or death. And we face the same issues. Things have got better. I don't want to minimize that. I'm a trans historian. I run the website transacity.org, which was one of the founding parts of the Digital Transgender Archive. It's been moribund for a while because, honestly, my day job has been taking all of my time. But I've studied so much transgender history, I've started to forget some of it. And I can tell people things still aren't great. There, you could say they're bad, but they're a lot better than they used to be. It used to be actually illegal to be transgender. Literally, by my saying, or to even admit in public you were intersex, I could actually have had police come in here and arrest me if somebody had called the police. There is an intersex person here admitting what they are. They need to be put in a state hospital soon. They used to force us into electroshock therapy, insulin shock therapy, uh, cold and hot water purge therapy, and they literally would not let you out unless you could convince them that somehow you had cured, you were seeing the guiding light of, uh, you know, gender normalcy and so forth. And I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to wear a flannel shirt and I'm going to cook a steak and drink a beer and uh, scratch myself with my car keys and everything else that men do. And, uh, you know, but there were so many famous people, so many famous figures in history that were fortunate enough to write about their stories that talked about the tortures they went through. And we frankly don't have that in this country anymore. But in some areas of the world, it's rolling backwards. There's whole countries I can't travel to. My security team at work has a list of about 37 countries I'm never allowed to go to because I could be killed if I go there. I can't even, when I work in India, which is very accepting of persons like myself, I have to take the more expensive flights that go west instead of east, because all the east flights go through Dubai. And even passing through the international terminal in Dubai, when you don't actually leave the country, they scan your passport. And when they do that, they'll find I once had a passport that had a different gender marker on it. I know of nine women who simply were transferring from one plane to another, who were arrested at the airport, taken downtown, and put into a male holding cell along with 20, 30 other prisoners. You can imagine what happens to a, a transgender woman who is thrown into that sort of situation. Some of them don't make it out ever. One was deported to Somalia with nothing but her passport. She wasn't from Somalia. She was from Germany. <laughs> but they sent her to Somalia. She begged to borrow someone's cell phone so she could call her company, which came and rescued her. Can you imagine having to just go in on a random business trip and having to end up begging for your life? That these are the fears that we face. It is. So the problems are still there, but it's a moving target every year. Every year there's a new legislative effort. It's trans youth for the last couple of years. I don't know what it'll be. After that, uh, there's a big hullabaloo about banning surgeries for trans kids. Almost no one under the age of 18 in the U.S. has surgery unless they have a clear medical need for it, like an intersex person like myself, because sometimes our organs are so malformed because of our birth defects, they have to be worked on because they become life or health threatening. That's totally different.
We, there are no 12-year-olds out there in the U.S. going into a doctor's office saying, I want double Ds so I can look like Pamela Anderson. That doesn't happen. We're passing laws to combat a threat that doesn't even exist. And the reason we're going to that exercise is to keep driving that wedge between my people, for lack of a better word, and everyone else to other us, to make us different, to make us stand out. Guess who's coming to dinner tonight, you know, to uh, go back to that old film with Sidney Poitier. It's, um, yeah, it's one of those trans people. And I have been invited out as that quirky, funny, intersex trans person before to groups. And I can tell right away what's going on. And sometimes I play along with it. Sometimes I ham it up. And sometimes I just excuse myself and go home. It's a... Uh, I've had tremendous luck in my company. Like I said, Black & Veatch has a 100% rating on the Human Rights Campaign uh, Index, which means they support us in every way possible. Uh, one of our, I, I'm the leading, I literally am the world expert in what I do, which is cleaning up coal power plants to convert them to renewable energy. And I am the global technology lead of about nine areas in that at Black & Veatch. Our global technology lead in wastewater and water treatment at Black and Beach is a gentleman named Ari Copeland, who is an out and proud trans man. Black and Beach is the only ultra conservative engineering firm in the world whose two of its leading scientists are an out and proud trans woman and trans man. We have a vibrant pride organization inside our company with hundreds of members. And we really do stand out differently from other companies. Again, my story is atypical. I had all the advantages. A spouse who militantly stood behind me. And when I came out to her mother, and her mother said that she was crazy for ever having married me, should have had her head examined. She essentially, not quoting you exactly, said, you will learn to love and accept and fully welcome in my wife as part of this family or I will never speak to you again, and I will never see you again except at your funeral. And that's a maybe, if the airfares are good. And then a few months later, an apology came. And that Christmas, I received a beautiful set of amber earrings and jewelry from my mother-in-law, who accepts me. My mother disowned me after making a half-hearted attempt for a few years. It's too much of an embarrassment. I guess, uh, you know, being a world-known researcher in renewable energy, a professor running two and a half radio shows on public radio, a club DJ, um, a writer that is syndicated nationally in the largest power journal. I write a monthly column about two fictional female engineers that go around the world solving problems. All those things didn't matter because I embarrassed the family by coming out. How did I embarrass the family, really? My mom hates everybody else in the family. She doesn't talk to anybody. My sister disowned me for about 10 years, and then all of a sudden, just in the last six months, we've restarted our relationship, and she tells me how proud she is of her big sister. In fact, she's going to be on the air with me in uh, two weeks from now for one of my goth music shows, joining in. I don't want to hog all the time. I didn't know that Fiona was going to be able to make it today, but my spouse Fiona is here. I'd like her to give her perspective on trans rights in the community, unless I'm supposed to answer a question or two now. I don't know how you want to do this. 
Uh, we still got about five or ten minutes before we need to uh, move to questions. So if you wanted Fiona to come up and speak. I'd like for Fiona to come up and speak because she is incredible. This is my spouse, Fiona Nowling. Uh, she is, don't be fooled by her beauty. Her brains are, she's literally the smartest woman I have ever met in my life. And one of the absolute kindest. Especially because you brought my car keys to rescue me. <laughs> Although it looks like you'd already provided caffeine, so you were well taken care of. <laughs> She's given a large portion of my story and what I might have said if I'd been up first. But a lot of the things that she said brought memories and thoughts. And a lot of the attack on the youth, on the trans youth, isn't just to other people. It's because, as Una says, being intersex, she has passing privilege. And if people, when they are in their teens, if they're able to take puberty blockers before they start puberty, before they shoot up and before they develop the extra musculature and before they start growing facial hair and before all of those secondary sexual characteristics change to match what their body's DNA and genes and things are trying to tell them it should be, which clashes with the way their brain has developed. If they can't take those puberty blockers, even if they transition later in life, they will never have that passing privilege. They'll never really be fully comfortable in their own body. And anyone in society that is of a mind to look at people and think, are you or aren't you, and keep trying to do some sort of purity gender test on people as they're passing them on the street, they'll be able to spot them, which is every transgender person's greatest fear is being outed against their will and not passing and being misgendered. And if people can do that at, at teenage and pre-teenage, start taking those puberty blockers, they'll have that passing privilege. They'll have safety. Your average bigot on the street won't be able to see them 10 years later and go, oh, yeah, I know what you are, and be able to pick on them and yell curse words at them and make them feel no higher than an ant, lower even. And that's, I think, is the real reason why they're going after the kids. And they're going after the kids by trying to pretend that it's in the kids' own interest. Going back to the UK, where I'm from, they had a bill when I was teaching that said that, just like in Florida, you can't promote the homosexual lifestyle. If you were using any government funds, any local uh, educational authority funds, you can't promote the homosexual lifestyle. There's no more guidance than that. People didn't know what actually counted as promoting the homosexual lifestyle. I taught high school science, so I had to teach reproduction and contraception underneath the uh, national curriculum that we have over there. And an awful lot of biology teachers wouldn't mention the fact that even if you're gay, you can still use contraception because it prevents against disease. You don't have to worry about pregnancy, but it protects against disease. But because of that bill, they were afraid to even mention that as a possibility, something that could save people's lives. And that's the sort of effect that these bills have on people. They can actually end up killing them, even if it's indirectly. And they make people 
feel like they don't exist. If everything you do when you have things about families or reproduction or say you're six or seven and they start to teach you about family trees and they have you draw a picture of your family tree and you start to draw one with your two mummies and they're like, oh, no, you can't do that. You find your family doesn't exist and your way of life isn't acceptable. And then the other kids pick up on that and then they start bullying you. And then everything spirals downhill from there. That's what these attitudes do to children. They're alleging that they're protecting children. It's that classic rallying cry of, oh, won't someone please think of the children? But they're using that as an excuse to destroy those children's lives. And they're using it because a lot of the time they can see that when people think of transgender people, when they think of adults, because of the way our culture has been, they think of the ring shows on Jerry Springer and of horrifically stereotyped cross-dressers who scream and have fights and pull each other's hair. But when people think of transgender children, they think, oh, they're children. And so this must be real. It's not some horrible, weird sexual king. They're kids and they need protecting. So they're going after the kids for two reasons. So they can't pass and be safe in future. And so they'll never, ever be attracted to them by accident and doubt themselves. And so they can drive that wedge and stop people from thinking, if children can be transgender, it must be genuine and they need protecting. They're trying to flip that protection script and actually harm them. And the other thing that I thought of when Una was telling about her story and how she was accepted at her company was that at the time, which is 10 years ago, and her company and many others have improved since then, but she was told that when she started to use the women's restroom on the day that they officially flipped her gender marker at work, she could never go back to the men's restroom. Even if it was closer or she had an emergency, she couldn't flip-flop. Once she transitioned, she was on that side of the fence and she had to stay there. And I know other transgender people that have transitioned and they've been told the same thing, no flip-flopping. But I also know an awful lot of people that are non-binary and I'm non-binary myself. My pronouns are she, they. And if you're a non-binary, some of those people are gender fluid. So one day they may feel more masculine and another day they may feel more feminine. And if you've been told, kick, kick a lane, you can't change restrooms, then that doesn't match with their gender identity. And even having a labeled restroom, if they're standing there staring at the two options and going, but I'm not either, even that's uncomfortable. And so often they get told to use the disabled toilet, like being non-binary or trans is a disability and should be hidden away and kept over there, possibly several floors away, and taking time from their work. So even when companies try to be understanding, there's still gaps in people's experience and that still affect their daily lives. And even in schools that call themselves accepting, an awful lot of those schools tell the kids that they can't use the restroom that aligns with their gender identity, but they can use the nurse's restroom, which is all the way across school and probably takes 15 minutes to get to and then back to their lessons and makes them late and miss their education. Plus, as Una was saying before about othering people, they're the kid that has to go all the way to the nurse's room just to use the toilet. And that marks them as different. 
and as weird. And when kids see that someone is different and weird, it's like the blood in the water with sharks. Because our society is all about safety in groups and normalization. I personally actually think it's a myth that anyone is normal. I think everyone feels that they're not normal and everyone else is and that they have to hide and cover up and pretend to be normal because if people knew that they were different or had interest in something that's unusual but actually really cool, they would think it was weird and not normal. And so they just talk about sports or the weather and things that they actually hate talking about and don't get to be themselves ever. I think the best thing we could do would be to destroy the myth of normality because I think everyone would be a lot happier and safer. Thank you for that, Una and Fiona. Next week, our speaker will be Andrew Bergerson, who will be talking about sociological factors that lead to dismantling democracy. And I, I do want to add one thing to Fiona's story, this humorous, uh, you know, having lived in the same area for all my life, uh, I got to see men's restrooms. I got to see women's restrooms now exclusively. If I was a non-binary person, I would never go into a men's room. Men's rooms are horrifying. I've, I've, I mean, at the same movie theater, the same restaurant, I'm the same, any facility come out of. I remember coming out of a restaurant and a friend said, oh my God, did you see that mess back in there? And I said, what, Hans? Someone left paper on the floor. I said, just paper? That's all that was on the floor? Let, let me tell you a story. <laughs> There's like, it's like, no, no. <laughs> Talk about people being killed for being um, trans, uh, and especially the distinction if the rate is higher among people of color. It's very notable that, um, well, I mean, Transgender Day of Remembrance is coming up. That's November 20th of every year. It's when we remember the transgender and non-binary persons around the world, but especially right here at home, that have been murdered in part because of who and what they are. And each year, the vast, vast majority of the transgender and non-binary persons being murdered in the United States are transgender women of color, specifically black women. And if you look at it on a worldwide scale, it is traditionally black, uh, Latinx women of color that are being murdered at an extraordinary rate. It is, uh, I think we're up to 39 or 40, 41 deaths. Sometimes it's hard to classify because the police often don't categorize the crime properly. I think out of 39, 36 of them were transgender women of color. Just think about that. The, the odds of being transgender are small enough. And with people of color being one seventh of society, it's one seventh that chance. And yet, it's it's the most dangerous job in the world is to be a black trans woman, I think. And if you're a black trans woman, before you transition, you have to think about the fact that as soon as the police see you, they're going to automatically assume you're a sex worker. That's the burden that they carry when they transition, that every time the police see them, they're going to harass them as a sex worker because they're a black trans woman. And the black trans men that I know, when they transition, they have to bear the burden that although they're less likely to be killed for being trans than a black trans woman is, they will now be harassed by the police and treated as a black man and seen as a black man. And that, that increases that risk there. Um, at the 
earlier part of your remarks, you went into a discussion about what develops when, which results in some of these issues. Could you go back and go over that again, please, so that I can try to grasp all of these details? Thank you so much. Well, I'll give a brief overview, and Fiona can add to it because she actually has a degree in biology. Uh, generally speaking, your genitals develop between about weeks 8 to 12 when you're in the womb. And uh, the decision that your body makes based on your genetics of whether you're going to make testosterone, it's, it's somewhat true that all babies are born female. It's not totally true, but it is it's somewhat close. And then whether testosterone is made determines what happens to you after that point. Your brain development, especially the higher cognitive functions, doesn't usually start until about 12 weeks after the genitals have already formed. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in 12 weeks. Genetic copying errors, exposure to chemicals that the mother may be exposed to, prescription drugs. We've all I think most of the audience of the age, you've heard of the thalidomide babies and the babies that were born with horrible defects over it. It was an anti-nausea drug, I think. Yeah. You know, there's There's been studies showing that uh, the surge of transgender people born about my era could have been caused by exposure to DDT that uh, can cause genetic mutations in infants. Uh, it really, the, the cause, so yeah, your genitals form and the brain forms later. And in the case of myself, with my mother taking super high-dose estrogen, that could have been the cause, or it might not have been a cause. I'm a sample size of one. It could have been something totally random with my genetics. It could have been the phase of the moon almost. But the important thing is, is that it is what it is. I've never felt any different. Sometimes I use the a brain in a jar experiment in an audience. Someone says, well, how do you really know what it feels like to be a woman? I mean, really, you were born and you've got this part and you were raised this way. That Yeah, well, I also had breasts and whatever, and I also made estrogen. But I say, okay, let's say that tomorrow you're in a horrible car accident. You wake up and you're really nothing but a brain in a jar. You can see, you can hear, you can communicate with people, but you have no body. How do you know you're male? You don't have any genitals you can point to. You can't point to your you know, Schwarzenegger-like physique. You can't. You're a brain in a jar. How do you actually know you're male? You know because you know. And I never thought I was female. I didn't necessarily think I was male. I didn't know what I was because of the era I grew up in. We didn't have the internet. I couldn't go to Google and type, what does it mean when people call you a boy, but you know you're really a girl? You had public libraries that didn't have anything. I thought I was the only person like myself in the entire world, and I was terrified. I'll let you talk more about this. And although there have been an upswing in people that are transgender and non-binary, they've been with us all through history. You can look at documentation of famous people's lives, and even in small samples like that, there are still people that it is very possible to point at in history and say, this person is transgender. So it's not all some modern thing just because of the internet era or because of modern chemicals. And all over the world, not just in the West, in Europe and so on, this happens to developing babies in the womb across the world and across history. 
It's not some weird modern phenomenon that we've invented. We might be seeing it more because more people are living. Historically, people will tell you that in the Middle Ages, the average life expectancy was 30 or 40. But most people, if they lived to be, say, 15-ish, they may even live to be 60 as their average. But so many people died in childhood probably before they even had any idea what gender is, uh, anything like that, they may have died, and before puberty. And puberty tends to be the hardest time for someone who's transgender because their body has finally completed its betrayal and shown them that it doesn't match their brain and that everything's going wrong. So that's why a lot of the time people think that kids don't know their gender or about gender before that because the stress of the distinction and difference between their brain and their body uh, hasn't force them to be unhappy enough to have to come out, which is a terrifying process for anyone. So you talked about number and famous people. Can you name someone that comes to my mind? Is Alan Turing? Is he uh, was he part of what you were talking about? Well, Alan Turing is generally recognized as being homosexual. Uh, I don't think anyone suggested that they may have been transgender, but without ever having had the chance to talk to them about that, it's hard to say. But uh, some of the people that people suspect were transgender are people that you wouldn't necessarily want to be associated with, like some of the Roman emperors, because they were known for excesses. Whether they were trans or not trans, they tended to be known for excesses. You wouldn't necessarily want to claim them for your team anyway. You know, throughout history, um, the standard practice for treating people that acted in transgender, had any sort of transgender inklings, was very similar to that for gays and lesbians, except typically much worse. And even for intersex babies, many intersex babies were killed at birth. It was a very widespread thing that happened even into the early 20th century. It was still common in rural areas around the world to, if a baby was born with mixed genitals or both sets or incomplete, they, the baby would suddenly suffocate overnight, sudden infant death syndrome. And the Catholic Church for a long time, until I think 1850, the way that they treated intersex persons, who, mind you, were, came that way from the womb, like me, was to crucify us upside down for existing. So a lot of, well, there's a, there's a lot of a tendency to hide. It was the drag culture that let trans people actually get an out in a way, and that it was a way you could earn a living, you could present female for some part of the time, even though you had to fake being a man, faking being a woman, and so on and so forth. It did at least get you a steady job, and um, it meant that you could, in some campy way, express yourself while the rest of the time you lived in silent misery. Most of the successful uh, trans people stayed stealth until basically their death, like uh, Billy Tipton, <laughs> the jazz piano player who was born in Kansas City. They didn't find out that they were trans until literally they were uh, in the morgue for their autopsy. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, this this person has a vagina. That's a big surprise, Billy. And uh, a lot of times it's never really known or it's hidden. Yeah. And 
sometimes people are married and people afterwards are like, how did their wife not know? And in generations before you had sex education and people didn't talk about things, it may well have been quite possible to have hidden things, especially if sex only ever happened with the lights off. Billy said that he had a war wound, even though he never went to the war. Wives never questioned that. Yeah. I couldn't help but notice the entirety of World War II, you weren't actually in the service, but they just didn't. And I do want to add to the point about intersex people being uh, executed uh, or transgender people in, got burned at the stake like witches in medieval Europe. Even today, although they're doing all those protect the children, they can't have any surgeries under 18 or any medical treatment because they're children. They still, if a child is intersex, will correct the genitals of that child without any idea of what the child's brain alignment is. The American Society of Pediatricians has come out against this, but there are still an awful lot of American pediatricians who were trained the old way. And if a child is born with mixed genitals, instead of saying, we'll wait a few years and we'll see how they align and how they are comfortable, they'll say, oh, well, they can't have things that look different to everyone else's because they'll feel uncomfortable. It's like no one goes around at school naked and looking at everybody else's genitals. No one's going to feel uncomfortable, uh, especially if their parents say, you have a medical condition, we're going to look after you, we love you however you are, whether you're male, female, or neither. And so surgery gets done without that child or individual's consent, with a surgery that they might actually want or treatment that they might want because they know their own mind, their own soul. Is banned. It's ironic. I mean, the same the same political groups that want to prevent people from having surgery to align their bodies to their soul, for lack of a better word, are the same ones taking infants and saying, "Well, we're just going to decide if this baby is boy or girl." And most all the time, they remove the penis completely because it's easier to do, and they don't. Nobody seems to really care about what the baby really is or what they'll develop in their mind. It's just chop it right off. And that's very like female genital mutilation, which everyone frowns on in the West and thinks is barbaric because there's no way you can preserve this the nerves and sensitivity operating on something as small as a baby. You've destroyed them for life. So this is kind of tangential, but your mention of bathrooms brought it up for me and it may or may not be in your visionary you've opened up my eyes for a lot of things but um so we were out of town and using the chain rest stops and uh, i don't remember the name of it and maybe you can tell me uh, they actually had family style restroom um labeled men's and women's so i mean two rooms labeled maybe they had maybe they had another symbol for both anyway i went to the one that looked women, right? And here was this delightful little chair that you could, you could strap an infant in if you were holding another and trying to use the restroom yourself. And, and I said I said something to my husband that that was that structure, and he said, the men's restroom was that way too. And I said, wow. And of course, I forgot the chain name. Are you aware of any of that kind of thing I, going on? I don't know the chain name, but there are a lot of stores that have restrooms labeled for all genders and that have baby care and baby changing facilities in 
both if they're single gendered male and female restrooms, which I think is wonderful because fathers can look after kids just like mothers can. I'm pretty sure it wasn't labeled family. That's what really was new for me. Because your family, you expect, you know, whoever uses it, whoever, whatever. But I'll, I'll have a mild objection to gender neutral restrooms because the men never lift the seats ever, or they leave the seat up, or that's just like. Everything is like you walk in, it's like the fire crew let go of the fire hose. It's everywhere. The club that I go to switched to gender neutral restrooms. And it is just, it's just, I'm like, ah, maybe I can walk down the street to someplace else. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Una and Fiona, for your wonderful uh, presentation. Thank you both for coming in and for educating us on trans and intersex issues. Thank you very much for having us. I'm glad I locked my keys in my car, which uh, unfortunately she wasn't feeling that well today, but uh, she came up to rescue me. And I'm glad because her perspective and her experience are invaluable. Thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Um, yeah, and thanks for being a trooper, Fiona. Um, next week, uh, just a reminder, we're going to have Andrew Bergerson, who's going to be speaking on sociological factors, uh, dismantling democracy. Thank you for tuning in to the All Souls Forum. Keep your radio dialed to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio, for your Jazz Afternoon with KC, coming up immediately. Followed by The Boogie Bridge with Jason Vivoni, and then the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. In the meantime, have a great day.